Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne once again. Lord, to worship you and to worship your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for who he is and what he has accomplished for his people in the salvation of his people. And Lord, we pray and thank you for your word that has taught us the truth about the work of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who reveals the things of Christ to us. And Lord, we pray now that as we go into your word, as we prepare for communion, that you teach us that your people may know that Christ actually accomplished a full redemption for his people, a complete and perfect redemption that cannot be improved by anything that man can do. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that we have a complete salvation. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit will give us understanding to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we always do with communion, we don't just have the elements, but we actually attempt to teach the gospel so that you have an understanding of what it is that God is saying about what Christ has accomplished for you and his people. So as we continue, today we have part three of what did Jesus accomplish on the cross. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Because a lot of people just say Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but they don't develop the theology of what it is that, that Jesus actually accomplished because the scriptures are clear to say that he actually accomplished something. And we also are going to be learning about what Christ accomplished from a very unusual place. It's going to be what Christ accomplished on the cross from the book of Job. So we have this morning the gospel according to Job. The atonement according to Job, according to the book of Job. The story of Job is one of the most known stories in the Bible. It is a story of a man called Job who dwelled in the land of Ez or Uz, somewhere in northern Arabia, that is areas around Palestine in the Middle East. But the precise location is not known. But when we read the story of Job, it opens up with a description of the person of Job. It opens up with a description of the person of Job. I went ahead of myself. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was talking from uh, my second page of my notes. But it doesn't change anything. We'll go to Job 1, 
the opening verses, but our main text is going to be Job 42. That's where I meant to be. Job 42, verses 1 to 11. That is going to be our main text of teaching what we need to teach today. But as for the background, we shall go back to Job chapter 1. So in Job 42, verses 1 to 11, this is what the Lord has recorded for us. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen please and let me speak, you said. I will question you and you answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Listen to verses 7 to 11. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled or aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. And each a ring of gold. So as I had said earlier, we are learning about what Christ accomplished on the cross from the book of Job, the atonement according to the book of Job. The book of Job is known by a lot of people, even the heathens have heard of the story of Job. And most of the understanding that people have of the devil as a bad angel that causes suffering comes from the book of Job. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that is all the understanding that they have had from the book of Job. That the devil is bad, and that's all they have from it. But when you allow the scriptures to really teach you, especially coming from the New Testament, you realize that, the book of Job is a gospel book. 
the book of Job is a gospel book in as much as it also is a book that declares to us the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. The story of Job, as I said, is a story that happened in the Middle East, in Palestine, somewhere, in the land of Uz. And we are told of the person of Job. The person of Job as a man who possessed much great wealth. And not only that, he was a man who was righteous. He was morally upright and he was a man who feared God. So we'll go to Job 1 verses 1 to 5 to get a primer of the person of Job. And this is what the word of the Lord says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So we see that Job was a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and shunned evil. But not only that, Job was a very wealthy man. There was no man who had the kind of wealth as Job had. And his wealth would have easily been in the billions in today's terms and would have easily rivaled the wealth of the Rockefellers or the J.P. Morgans and the operas of this world. And yet he possessed a very unusual testimony for a man who was that rich. He had the testimony that he was a righteous man. That is a difficult testimony to find among the rich and powerful of our day. And another verse that is important for us to consider about the life of Job is coming from Job 1 verse 5. Pay attention to Job 1 verse 5. It says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. 
That's Job did regularly. So Job fasted and offered sacrifice for his children lest they had sinned against the Lord. And we are told that Job did this regularly. Regularly. So we see that Job was not only rich, but he was also a high priest for his family. He made sin offerings and he interceded for them before the Lord. But there's more. Job is the only man who in the scriptures has ever received the testimony from both heaven and earth that he was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Of any man born of a woman who is not the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have an account of a man who was this righteous. And in heaven, God himself says of Job in Job 1.8, Then the Lord said to Satan, the Lord was talking to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So this man, Job, has a testimony of his righteousness from the earth and also from God himself. And it is this man who lost everything that he had when the Lord gave the devil permission to sift him. And of course many people end up getting hung up on the story of Job as a story of suffering and how bad the devil is and miss that this story is the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They miss that God is the one who is sovereign over all, and that nothing comes to anyone unless he has determined it. The devil does not run the show. He, too, is a creature. The devil is a creature of God. And has boundaries set for him because we see him not being able to touch Job without express consent and permission from the Lord himself. He is specifically told what he can do and what he cannot do. And this is recorded for us that we may understand who sits on the throne. So the devil also shows up among a host of other angels called the sons of God. He comes amongst the hosts of other angels to come and give account of their activities before the Lord. It is not like the Lord did not know what the angels were up to. But this is for us to understand that it is the Lord who sits on the throne and they are required to come and report to him. They are responsible for what the Lord has given them to do. So the devil is just an instrument. is just a tool in God's toolbox to do God's bidding. But Job 
gets in serious trouble when the devil is despised to his house. The devil is sent twice by the authority and permission of the Lord before the devil had been around at Job's house. But he had been there not because the Lord had sent him there because when you read the conversation that the devil had with the Lord, he was aware that Job had a hedge around him. And the devil could not have known that Job had a hedge around him unless he had been at Job's house. He had been at Job's house, but he couldn't touch Job because the Lord had hedged Job around So the first time that the devil goes to Job's house, he goes there officially by the express permission of the Lord. And he goes there and the Lord lifts and expands the boundaries. He removes the hedge that was on Job that the devil may reach him. So in the first visit, Job lost all his children and his wealth in one day. Only him and Miss Job remained untouched. And his testimony of God remained intact. For we are told that he did not curse God and die as Mrs. Job had suggested or would suggest to him. And the second time, the sons of God come back to present themselves before the Lord. And the Lord God says to the devil in Job 2. Go to Job 2, verse 3. This is what the Lord says to the devil. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So the devil, in this conversation, asks that God would increase the stakes on Job. And that if he were allowed to touch the person of Job, that is to affect his health, that Job would curse God. And so the Lord granted permission and the devil assaulted the health of Job that he had painful boils from his head to his toes. But we hear... In Job 2, verses 9 and 10, Mrs. Job chimes in. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? 
In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That's the theology according to Miss Job. Curse God and die. There's nothing to live for after everything that has happened. But the theology does not stop there. Job's friends show up. In Job 2, Job's friends show up. And when they see Job, they could not recognize him. And when they recognized him, they are blown away that they were silent for a week. Job looked so bad that his friends just could not find any words to speak to him for a week so as to console him. And this is amazing that his friends would come and for a whole week they are with him and Job is looking so bad that they could not even find a single word to say to Job. That's how desperately bad Job was looking. Listen to Job 2, verses 11 to 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nemathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Listen to Vestkov. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So things were not looking good for Job, that his friends, they just could not help but be still, just be quiet, and not say anything. But who is this job. But who is this job? The scriptures tell us that he was a wealthy man who lived in the fertile desert areas in the Middle East, who had much great wealth. But even with that, who is Job? Here is the profile of Job. Again, that we may be able to answer the question. Job, we are told, was a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. And he received this testimony of his righteousness once from the earth and twice from the mouth of God. It sounds to me like he was a type of the sinless Christ. It sounds like 
Christ who was sinless in heaven and on earth. Listen to Hebrews 7 verse 5. For it is indeed fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It sounds like our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 4-5, which says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We are going to be developing and connecting these things. Job was tempted of the devil in many points and yet did not sin against God. Job was tempted in many points and yet did not sin against God and he was tempted of the devil. In Job 1.21, we are told that in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Christ, our sinless high priest, was afflicted and smitten of God and yet did not charge God with sin or charge God with wrong even though he went on the cross by the predetermined plan of God. And not only that, he went on the cross not as a sinner himself, but he was sinless. Christ was innocent. And yet he did not charge God with any wrong for God punishing him on behalf of his people. The Lord Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness in the desert, and yet did not sin. Job was afflicted of God after he had been tried of God and yet received the testimony that he was righteous. There was no one who was upright and righteous as Job. And we know that Job was afflicted not because he had committed any particular sin, but because the Lord was pleased to do it to Job. We see our Lord Jesus Christ being tried in the cause of man and receiving the testimony that he was sinless and being afflicted even though he was holy and undefiled. Listen to the testimony of Pilate in John 18.38. John 18.38. The Lord is being tried. He is with Pilate. And Pilate says to the Jews, I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. And in John 19.4, in John 19, verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. But what did the people say? 
Crucify him. Crucify him. They hated Christ without a cause. The devil hated Christ without a cause. And the devil was determined to get Job destroyed without a cause. Listen again to what God said to the devil in Job 2 verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. The devil wanted Job to be destroyed without cause. Christ was insulted and afflicted without cause. And the Jews, as it were, were trying to incite God against Christ as to destroy him without cause. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ held fast to his integrity. And let us not miss the description of what Job's friends saw of their beloved friend in Job 2 verse 12. When Job's three friends showed up, we have a description of what they saw. Job 2 verse 12. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. What are we to see from that? We are to see Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, listen to Isaiah 52 Verses 13 to 15. Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 15. The Lord records for us and says, Look, my servant will succeed. He will be elevated, lifted high, and greatly exalted, just as many were horrified by the sight of you. His form was so mad, he no longer looked human. So now, he will startle many nations. Kings will be shocked by his exaltation. For they will witness something unannounced to them, and they will understand something they had not heard about. So Job was disfigured that his friends could not recognize him. And when they saw him, they lifted their voices and wept, tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And so our Lord Jesus was disfigured. He was disfigured because of God's judgment. He was so disfigured that the Father covered the earth with darkness for three hours that his son may not be seen. Christ was mad more than any man. Christ was mad more than any man. And Job, Job, because of the boils 
because of the boils, he could not be recognized even by his best friends. So who is Job? Job is a type of Christ. Job is a type of Christ and the sufferings of Job are a type of the humiliation and suffering of Christ. We have the suffering of Job and we have the exaltation of Job at the end because the Lord restores the glory that Job had in the beginning. Actually, he multiplies the glory that Job had at the beginning. And we see in Job then the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. So with that understanding, with that understanding, we know the discussion that followed after Job had started, started talking to his friends a week later. Job's friends were falsely accusing him. Job's friends were falsely accusing him that he could not be suffering the way that he did unless he was a sinner. Job's friends were falsely accusing him of having sinned, otherwise God would not have cursed him. They were accusing him of not taking care of the orphans and the widows and of having stolen his wealth. Hear what Eliphaz, the Temanite, said of Job in Job 22. Job 22, Job 22, verse 9 to 10. Eliphaz says to Job, You have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden fear troubles you. This is the theology of Job's friends. They are saying, this could not have happened to you unless you had sinned. And as you continue to read the conversation, there is a back and forth theological discussion between Job and his friends. Job's theology is... Whatever is happening to me is all from God's sovereign hand. And he is inflicting punishment on me, not because I have sinned, but because he is sovereign and he does whatever he wants. So Job is a sovereign grace preacher. Job is a sovereign grace preacher and Job's friends are Armenians. They are saying God is only reacting to the bad things that Job did. And that is why they're suffering. And they're wrong. And so in Job chapter 38, the Lord God shows up. The Lord God shows up and seeks to set things straight for all 
And he continues his discourse of his sovereignty, of his sovereignty over all things. And he does not apologize to Job. He doesn't come to Job and say, Oh, I'm sorry, it's the devil who came to me and I asked him about you. He says, Who are you? Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? So the Lord continues to make a defense of his sovereignty in the sight of Job. And this is where we find our text today. That's where we find our text today. And we have the confession of Job. Once the Lord shows up and makes a defense of himself, we have a confession of Job. And this is the confession of all the sinners who are raising themselves against the knowledge of Christ and the gospel. When they meet with God, they are going to be blown away but by the person of Jesus Christ. They are going to say, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. But unfortunately, that's not going to count because that's going to be late. But abhorring themselves, they are going to in the face of the Lord. So God comes and he lays accusations against Job's friends. The Lord has accusations against Job's friends. And listen to Job 42 verses 7 to 11. This is what it says. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Elivas the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nemathite went and did as the, as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job. Verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed the Lord gave to Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 11. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Let's go back to verse 7. Because I want you to see the development of this teaching. Verse 7 says, 
And so it was. After the Lord has spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God's charge against Job's friends was that they had bad theology. They had bad theology. They had said that which was not right about God like Job had done. How come? Job to them sounded to be the bad guy who was seemingly falsely accusing God and yet God comes and says, yes, my servant Job was right. He spoke that which is right about me. And you Job's friends, guess what? You are in trouble. And you are in so serious trouble that if I don't do something for you, I am going to kill you. I am going to kill you for your bad theology. Because you did not sanctify me as the sovereign, as the one who is working out his purpose. And my servant Job recognized this. And he said, I know who has done this to me. Job knows that it is by the hand of the Lord that he is going through his suffering. But listen to what God says, God charges God's friends with folly, that is with sin. And because they are now sinful, they are in serious trouble. And if nothing is done for them, God has to destroy them. And so God provides a remedy for their sin and says in verse 8, listen to verse 8. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Pay attention to the sacrifice. The sacrifice was seven bulls and seven rams. Seven in the Hebrew is the number of completion, is the number of perfection. So Job's friends had to take a perfect sacrifice to God's righteous servant. The man that God appointed on their behalf to be their high priest so as to offer up a burnt offering for them. God says, go to my servant Job, who is morally upright and shuns from evil, a type of Christ, to be your mediator between you and I 
or else I'll kill you. You have to go to the man that I have appointed as your mediator, as your high priest, with the sacrifice that I have commanded. You can't take the sacrifice to anybody. Eliphaz, you can't take the sacrifice to anybody other than the one person that I have appointed for you. And after you have done that, my appointed servant shall pray for you. The appointed servant shall intercede for his friends with a prayer and a sacrifice. The appointed servant, Job, intercedes for his friends with prayer and the offering of a sacrifice. That sounds like I'm hearing about Jesus. And God says, listen, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly. God's promise, God's promise to Job's friends is that if they would bring the proper sacrifice, the sacrifice that he had commanded to the person that he had appointed, he would forgive their sin. But hear this, lest you miss, lest you miss it. God says, he will accept not the friends, but that he will forgive them on account of him accepting job. The friends are not forgiven for themselves. The friends are forgiven because job is accepted. <laughs> so the sacrifice is accepted because of job. Not because the friends brought it. The forgiveness happens because of Job. And not what the friends brought in this case. What does that mean? What does that mean? If Job is not accepted, then the sacrifice is not accepted. And no one can be forgiven by it. Listen to Job 42 verse 9. Listen to Job 42 verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nemathite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job. For the Lord had accepted Job. And we know from the teaching of the New Testament that our sins are not forgiven. Our sins are not forgiven because sinners crucified the Lord, but that the Lord accepted Christ. Our sins are forgiven, not because we are the ones that the Lord used to raise the Lord onto the cross, but that the Lord had accepted Jesus Christ as our substitute, as our high priest, as the one who was able to do this work on our behalf.
So then, what is this saying? To be accepted by God, you need a proper who? To be accepted by God, even as Job's friends, you need a who? Job's friends needed a who? They needed Job. They needed a who to be delivered from God's judgment. And we need a who? We need Jesus Christ to be delivered from God's judgment. So what do we see then? Job is a type of Christ. As a high priest before God. And he is offering a sacrifice on behalf of his friends that they may be forgiven of their sins. Jesus Christ is our high priest who was the sacrifice that God set his seal on that he should be offered for the sins of his friends. The issue of salvation then is whether one has a proper who, a proper mediator that God has appointed, one that God hears and accepts, or else there's no salvation. Job's friends had no salvation outside Job. Job's friends could not be saved from their sin outside having Job as their mediator. So Job's friends had their who. And you have to have your who. By yourself, God never accepts you for you by yourself. But listen. There were many in the Middle East at this time who had spoken a lot of foolish things just as Job's friends had done about God but were not covered by the sacrifice. The sacrifice that Job offered was a sacrifice not for all but for his friends. What do we see? Job's friends were his friends before and after the sacrifice was offered. Job's friends were his friends before and after the sacrifice. What changed was their legal relationship to God. Before they were condemned and afterwards they were justified. But they still remained Job's friends. <laughs> this is good. Before the sacrifice, God was intent on killing them because of their sin. And that changed not because they had morally reformed themselves, but because the sacrifice that God commanded had been offered. And that it had been given by the person that God accepted. Our acceptance, our acceptance our justification by God is not in ourselves and could never be in ourselves. It has to be 
in the person that God has appointed. So we have been fully accepted in Christ, the Son of God. And as I said, Job's friends were his friends. Before and after. Jesus Christ was our friend before and after we came to Christ. But our legal relationship with God was not right because of the folly of our sin. But we were Jesus' friends because we were chosen and given to Christ by God the Father before the foundation of the world. That we may be redeemed by him and as long as Christ had not come as the sacrifice that the Lord had commanded, the Lord himself had not been offered, the wrath of God abided on us. Even though we were Christ's friends, we still needed the sacrifice to be offered that our legal relationship with God may be made right. That's justification. And that's what Christ has accomplished. Now that the sacrifice our Lord Jesus Christ was offered and was accepted as proven by the resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord is the evidence that the sacrifice that God had commanded on our behalf was accepted. And if Christ rose, it means the judgment of condemnation was lifted from you. The judgment of condemnation was lifted from you. And God is not going to deal with your folly. We who are friends of Christ. We have passed from judgment to life in spite of our struggle with sin. But listen to Job 42.10. Listen to Job 42.10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Actually, let's go to verse 11 too. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. God restored Job's losses after he had offered a sacrifice for his friends and after he had prayed for his friends. We are told that he was given double, twice of what he had before. This sounds like we are talking about Christ. Listen to Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient 
to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's the humiliation of Christ. That's the humiliation of Christ. Christ is coming from the glory of heaven. And he adds to himself a lowly nature, human nature. That's the humiliation of Christ. That's the condescension of Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He has exalted him from his humiliation. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Job was humbled by sufferings and then glorified. The Lord was humbled by taking up human nature, suffering in death, and then glorified, and then given the name which is above all names. And he was exalted in the sitting on the right hand of God. He was exalted as the son of God after his humiliation. Job 42, verse 11. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before, his acquaintances before the humiliation, the ones that the Father gave to Christ before the foundation of the world, his acquaintances before his incarnation, because when the Lord came, he came to save his own people. He already had his people that he came to save. So all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him and in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. And listen to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 10 to 13. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. Job and his brothers, and his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before his humiliation, they gathered together after the exaltation and restoration of Job. This is a type of the death and resurrection 
of Job. Job is humiliated and yet he is exalted in restoration to a glory which is higher than what he had before. Christ comes, he is humiliated in suffering and death on the cross, in going into the grave and in resurrection, and he is exalted up on high. Him and the children whom God has given him. Job's friends came and ate with Job at his house. And he was not ashamed of them. And our Lord has brought us to his own house in glory. And is not ashamed to call us brethren. As the children that God gave to him. This is the gospel according to Job. Job offered a sacrifice for his friends. And they were spared from the judgment of death. Because God accepted Job. And the Lord Jesus Christ offered sacrifice for us, his friends. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, his friends. And by him laying down his life, we have been spared from the judgment of death because God accepted him. So the issue of the gospel and salvation and justification is that your acceptance is in the person and the sacrifice that God has appointed. And if that person is accepted, you also have been accepted in spite of your sins. Praise the Lord. Let's prepare to have our table.